I'm Ron Powell McLean. Welcome to the Backyard Buddhist. I'm here in the Midwest, the heart of the United States, where it just got cold. This week was all over the place. It was cold, then it was warm. On one day there was, it was so warm, I wore a tank top and shorts on my walk and I was still hot. <laughs> it was so great. And then the next day was 40 something. It was terrible. So I have invited my friend Chris again for this, this episode of the Backyard Buddhist Podcast. Welcome, Christopher Bain. Hello, everyone. We had so much fun last time. I we did. figured we could do the same this time. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> so how was your week? Did you get outside and enjoy that summer-like day? No. I didn't. Oh, you, I worked all you week. You work like a busy. real person. Um, <laughs> I I'm trying to think if I got. I know. I don't even think I went out for lunch that day, or like you know walked across the street to Hit House to grab something. No, but I know it was really warm, but it was super windy because I know on the drive home it was just blustery. But Wait, it was windy. Degrees. Yeah, yeah, it was so warm though. It was I, so I had the, I had the air on the car. I got my my gold aviators out and oh nice. <laughs> took a walk in my tank top. I was definitely looking beachy. <laughs> I don't like you had your air on that day, but then the next day you had to turn your heat on. I know. It went down to like 35 that night, which it was, was that night, yeah. Yes. I had all the windows open and we have one of those <sighs> like uh uh attic fans that pulls oh, the yeah. air through and it was beautiful in here and then my husband got home and he was like, you know, really enjoying that. And it was really starting to, to get cold. And I'm sneaking around the house and starting to shut windows. And I shut <laughs> off the fan. And I finally, like I reached over him on the couch to pull the, the window down behind him. And he's like, no. <laughs> I know. I went from air in the car on the way home Wednesday night to heat in the car from here on out. I went out today to get my glasses adjusted and it was I'm pumping gas i was freezing it is freezing it is so cold i know they're calling for snow it's monday tomorrow. so I yeah and tomorrow. tomorrow yeah ridiculous but yeah, it is the midwest it is a little chaotic you know i actually no. am ready for that because we have a ton of firewood left over from last year so we've got that little family room downstairs which is super duper cozy and it's kind of oh. our winter room anyway we you we, have a real wood burning fireplace yeah so we have oh. like two we have a family room and a living room so the family room was built on and it actually has like a a nine seat bar in it and mm -hmm. this big fireplace down there so and there's a big sectional so you know it's it's a great place to just sort of flop down and watch movies or you know binge watch a series or just you know watch the fire and but we've we've turned the uh the bar into uh, we call it the quarantini lounge so since we don't get to go out to bars and restaurants and things um we sort of theme have theme nights down there so we'll pick a oh, night fun. that we're both home and 
um, I, I have a little chalkboard down there. So I changed the special. It's always two for one night. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> but maybe margarita night one night, or it might be Bloody Mary night another night, or maybe there was a wine special. <laughs> That's awesome. And then I'm, you know, I like to make, you know, like if it's margarita night, I want, I make nacho platter and taquitos mm. and, you know, so there's Sounds snacks good. and things that go with it. So trying to keep it fun and, you know, the Alexa Echo Dot has been really um, helpful in just selecting a, an appropriate style of music <laughs> to go oh, with the nice. theme. So yeah. it's fun. Very cool. Yeah. Well, this month, October, which we're quickly nearing the end of, is LGBTQ plus history month. And it is. You know, I've, I was thinking a lot about LGBTQIA history and, um, you know, what it's been like in my life, um, the changes that have come, you know, I'm just 50, what am I, 52? I think I'm 52. And just the, I have to think about it, Chris. I literally, like, I sometimes actually have to get a calculator out and do the math because I just don't remember how old I am. Oh, bless your heart. I actually, since, since I turned 25, I have been like that where I actually, I have to ask, or I have to look. I, I think when I was 36, I was 36 for two years, or I was 36 when I was actually 35 and it was a mess. So <laughs> <laughs> you can see how much value I put in it. <laughs> anyway, I was, I was thinking about all the changes that that has brought in the last few years. And I mentioned last week on the podcast, I'm, you know, reading uh, Mayor Pete's book, um, mm -hmm. Trust. And I, I think I have, I developed a very reserved category of those that I trust. Um, and part of it is because of, you know, growing up gay and, needing to be who I was, but not endanger myself. You know, I've, I've certainly pushed the, pushed the envelope in several ways, but in, in other ways, I'm a little bit of a fraidy cat. So, you know, in, in growing up, I was, you know, the son of a, um, air force sergeant who was at the top of his game and, um, very well known and here I'm trying to sneak around <laughs> you know and and you know go to the go to the gay bars and I got caught once uh -oh. by my little How brother I well I was I was old enough I was t probably 21 maybe 22 um, and my little brother who's four years younger than me was out running with his with his friends and drove past uh, me going into the gay bar uh-oh and apparently he made a report to my parents that they didn't tell me about until after my coming out oh wow well that was nice of him well but it may have been a little easier if they just say hey we know <laughs> well you know the the threat was that me 
having an out lifestyle would somehow jeopardize my father's career and his security clearance. Makes sense. Um, I remember my mother lecturing me and saying, your father's going to lose his security clearance. Oh, wow. From this. And I'm like, uh, yeah, well, then that I'll. Is, that's a lot of pressure. It was a lot of pressure, you know, <laughs> which I, I still feel in, you know, in a general way. I think that I am conservative in many ways. You know, my husband is, you know, a New Yorker mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of, you know, we're about the same age. So he, you know, grew up in the 90s in New York when everything was super heyday and you right. know he's you know tells me about you know going to you know the these big giant bars and drinking next to Grace Jones and you know <laughs> something I can't even fathom but you know we're in Kansas City and mm-hmm. you know when he wants to walk down the street hand in hand with his you know 52 year old husband i tend to seize up (laughs) you know we're the same way i mean you know andy and i are both from mid-missouri um you know from a very conservative family his is pseudo conservative but you just didn't do that i mean i don't know i'm not a big fan of pda in general that's just me yeah, I don't care who you are. I just don't want to see it. I mean, a little smooch is one thing, but I just don't want to see a ton. Yeah. It's just, it's just me. And, but we just don't. And I think, you know, being raised in a small town in mid-Missouri, you did not display much of anything. And that's because it was not safe. And, oh, no. I, and I can imagine that it still isn't. I think it's probably maybe a little more mm-hmm. accepted, tolerated, which tolerated. I don't, I don't I like think that word. Home, yeah. <laughs> I think in some areas it's tolerated and some, some areas it's probably just eye rolled and that's it. In other places it's, you know, not a chance in hell. Yeah. But um, I definitely, when I came out, I actually, um, I was living in a college town at that time, Columbia, Missouri. And I felt comfortable being a little bit more of myself. But if I would drive 35 minutes back to my hometown, it was straight and narrow, acted, flew right, everything. Never once would even admit I was gay. In the past 20 years, I've been back to my hometown twice. And my mom still lives there. What age if did I go you see move? I went to college at 18 in 1992. So I'm 46. So I went to Mizzou. So I moved to Columbia in 1992. And I moved to Kansas City in 2000. And I've been here for 20 years. Okay. And so if I go see my mom now, I see her in Columbia at my grandmother's house. I won't go back to my hometown. Too many bad memories and probably too many things that I still need to um, have some time on the seat for. And meditate <laughs> I mean, honestly, I it's great meditation material. I know. But it's just something I, I choose not to dwell on the past. I don't let it ruin my my pat my future or my present. Right. But it's there. I I think I've gotten to the point that I'm pretty comfortable in my skin. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, 
have anxiety. So there's, there's a little bit of that, that, you know, that sneaks in every now and then, but I will say that my life is so very plain to me and mundane that I kind of forget sometimes that I have the label of gay. Oh, absolutely. I mean, literally we're both married men, right? We have careers. We have husbands who have careers. We have houses, right? We have pets. It's got to go grocery shopping and do laundry and mow the lawn. And, you know, Andy, my husband and I, we joke, we're like the old boring couple of out of everybody because we do, we go to, you know, he works from home. I go to work, the office every day, come home. We cook dinner, talk about our day. We go to bed. I mean, it's, there's no, I mean, it's pretty dull, but it's happiness. It's right. satisfying. Right. Um, Comfortable and... Oh, completely. Yeah. And it's it's so nice in this day and age that we get to be ourselves and right. work for places that allow that. Because I'll tell you, in college, that was a fear of mine. You know, looking back, you know, early 90s, there wasn't anything, or even growing up in the 80s, there wasn't anybody on TV who would be... A role model right and being college in the 90s it was like huh, can i be gay and work for this company right what can i do you know my, it was all about that negotiation like of how do i do this you know how do i do this at night and not take it to work in the morning right and i got really good at it yeah for several too. years <laughs> i mean probably five years you know, wearing a certain tie to office every day and at night going home and eating and then putting on something else and going out and partying it up. Right. And occasionally because, running into someone from work and going, oops. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, now flash forward 20 years later, I mean, I work for a company where my picture has been posted on our intranet site as you know a gay leader within the health system mm-hmm. i have i teach a class at my health system which is about thirteen thousand people and i've taught this class about 50 times about what it's like to be gay and about how it's like to work in an environment of predominantly heterosexuals right and then how we as lgbtqia plus folks want to be treated and so it's a different world now. Right. It really is. And thank goodness for that, really. I mean, oh, you know, hands down. I, you know, I still think, and, you know, this is the, the fearful nature in me that I, I feel like there is still a, you know, a bit of um, danger. Oh. And, you know, I think with the current political climate and the, threat of our equality being taken away has has really reminded me um you know as of late that i am a gay man (laughs) and that and that things can be taken away i saw a quote and i'm not i can't remember who it was by but it said if you don't have a seat at the table you're on the menu. Absolutely. 
And then another one, and I know you saw that I posted this, that said, if you've never had your rights decided by a court, that's privilege. Absolutely. And that scares me a bit. Oh, it does. So I have that, you know, that kind of grinding fear um, in my gut that I'm in danger. And I've been spending a lot of time on the meditation cushion. Yeah. Going over that in my head and thinking. Because, you know, in 2015, when it be, when Obama and the Supreme Court on uh, June 26, 2015, passed same-sex marriage, yeah. effective July 1st, we were legally married July 2nd. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we went, we were like, done, we're getting it done now. Yeah. Just in case. Yeah. And so we made it official quick, (laughs) you know, because we were just afraid that, you know, we knew he was coming to his end of term, what would happen. Right. And we at least wanted to say we had had a legal marriage. We had a, we we had a plan because, you know, we, we got married uh, two years ago and we had a plan that if it was, if it looked like it was going to be repealed that we were going that we had a pastor basically on standby that we were going to do a quickie um, yeah. and get it official and legal um, before our wedding if we needed to so luckily it was still in force and you know everything was great and I still just blows my mind that these are the thoughts we're having these days so we have to think this way you know um Looking back, you know, at our history, so much has changed over the last hundred years. You know, you go from Alan Turing, you know, with World War II being court-martialed by British Army, and then he was chemically castrated for being gay, to Stonewall in the 69, and then to where we are now just five years ago and then now such happiness five years ago Hmm. and now such fear right well and then this week like this week the you know the statement comes out um from the pope and you know knowing that you know i i grew up catholic my my mother-in-law who i who i adore by the way i Mm -hmm. think she's a super cool woman she sent me in joy and happiness, sent me the, the clip of that statement uh, that he, you know, came out and, you know, was approving of civil unions. And Chris, I, I still haven't replied because I, all I could think was privilege doesn't understand that mm-hmm. that's not equality. Not the least bit. That's not equality when it's, It's, you know, equal but separate is is not a healthy place to be because that means that it has the potential of being separated again. Absolutely. It's definitely back in the bus. And my, you know, my, my kind of comical irritation is that um, I think in my mind that if they can, if they're going to take away my rights, then I'm going to, then I'm going to take the value of that off my taxes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there you go. I don't think that'll work, but. But, you know, one thing I go back to is I think in history, in my history, 
Buddhism has allowed me to be more comfortable in my own shoes. Yes. Because I think spending time on the cushion and just thinking, being with my thoughts. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a determined person. I'm, I could be very bossy. <laughs> I could be kind of a pain in the ass, but I always want to be what's right and what's fair for everyone. And I don't want to shy away from issues. And I think in my life I have. And, you know, with coming out, I I was unsure where I felt I fit religiously. And I remember I would go to church and I wouldn't speak. I thought, well, they're going to look at me and go, who's the gay kid? You know? <laughs> um, and so through my own struggles with what I wanted and what I believed and what I felt, I kind of left any type of religion, anything, any the whole gamut. I just walked away from all of it. Didn't even think about it for years. It was working on me, basically. And it was when I found Buddhism and discovered meditation and discovered sitting in my discomfort. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of discomfort to sit with. <laughs> it made me feel more empowered right. through my own comfort. Realizing this is me and I've been practicing for four years now, almost five. <laughs> I had to look at my arm. Um, it's just been that. Why do you look at your arm? Tell us, tell the tell the listeners why you look at your arm. I have the date in which I took my my precepts on tattooed on my arm, and on which I think is awesome. The, the inside of my um, left bicep and on the inside of my right bicep is my mantra which is just be because that's all I can do is just be I can't be anything else than just me so I just have to be I have to just be me I just have to be who I am this is how I was created to be and that's good enough for me you know because it's 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 who I am and sometimes it's not good enough for others. Sometimes it's not what others want. But Buddhism has helped me realize I have a voice. I have an opinion. But it's how I use it in this most skillful way possible. And trust me, there's times when I'm not skillful. <laughs> but those days are few and far between anymore. Right. I think, you know... Um, I am in leadership at, at a large health system here in the city. And, you know, I have to deal with a lot of people on a daily basis, happy people, sad people, mad people. And so I'm always having to kind of bounce back and forth and learn how to tailor my conversations with them and having crucial conversations or having sad conversations. And I think spending time on the couch i'm sorry on the, on the cushion not on the cushion sometimes sitting on my couch is where i meditate but it allows me to better focus and better handle those situations and there's times um when i've had people ask me if i was gay i you know sometimes i would shy away from it or i would want to 
deter the conversation, take a sharp right turn, why does it matter? And now I'm like, yes, I am. And I'm not ashamed. I've never been ashamed. Well, I take that back. As a teenager, yes, there's always that shame, I think. But <laughs> as an adult, I've never been ashamed of who I am. Yeah. But I think the older I've gotten, being more comfortable in my skin, um, I'm proud to be who I am. And Buddhism has been a huge, huge part of that journey to get me to where I am. Right. Now, Buddhism can just help me drop 10 pounds. <laughs> That's another story. No, I'm working on that. <laughs> Let's make it 20, okay? Let's be honest. But still, no, 10, 10 at a time is fine. <laughs> exactly. It's baby steps, right? But I just think it's been an incredible journey. And I hope that the LGBTQIA plus youth of today understand the struggles that are out there that some people still have the past struggles and even the current struggles because it's not always easy for everybody yeah and it's definitely not been easy for either one of us no but it's been better than others but not as good as some well to me i'm i'm super grateful that i found buddhism you know i you know i've been a meditator for much longer than I was a Buddhist, but I grew up Catholic and I left the church because of how I was feeling and um, a conversation with my priest at that time where I said, I think I might be a homosexual. And he said, quote, there are not enough Hail Marys to keep you out of hell. And that was powerful and um, powerful in a terrible way, actually. It made me um, recoil in a way that I just could not trust people. So I did a lot of hiding. And did you, sorry to interrupt you, but in this priest, did you trust and respect him like you were close to him? Yes. That's even worse. So like a family member kind of shunned you. Yes. Ouch you know, the, the later part of that story is, you know, I found out years later that he himself is gay. <laughs> Not a shock. Not a shock. Not a shock. I often find those who renounce somebody's homosexuality are often hiding something other around. But, you know, I will also say that I, I sensed that. And that was part of the reason that I felt safe enough to bring it to him because I thought he would understand and instead I kind of got the the boot to the face and you know I just rejected religion for I'm trying to put a, a year value to this but it was a long time <laughs> it was just really a long time and I think I I certainly recoiled and got pissed off if someone, you know, referred to church or you just need Jesus or you need God or God this or God has a plan for you. And I would feel absolutely left out. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember one time it was been many, many, many years ago, probably at least at least 15 years ago, someone's told me I needed Jesus. And I was in I was such a bad spot in my life. I think I told them they needed to drop dead. I was like, oh my God. I was like, if that's your answer, just 
such a bad way, such a bad answer. But I understand I was that way too. Just don't even talk to me about it. Yeah. And then going home and having to say grace. And I was like, oh, Jesus, this was not what I wanted. (laughs) You know, belief is strong. I, you know, it is. You and I, you and I both still like, use it as a as punctuation you know in saying oh. god this and jesus that and good lord oh. no and <laughs> it's, yes. it's just ingrained in our vernacular it is i also kind of wonder sometimes is that a midwest thing no no okay no i don't because most everybody in my circle is midwest but i know you have you know your mother-in-law's in florida darren's from new york so yeah, no, I would say even my Buddhist friends that are, you know, on the East and West Coasts do the same thing. Okay. So maybe it's an American thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, it might be just a global thing. You never know. <laughs> we, it's we probably might. true. Well, I think, you know, for me, what Buddhism has brought to the table in regard to, you know, this journey for me is that you know, I really try to process, and this, we were talking about this earlier, that, you know, my process is to sit down on the cushion and take stock. Where do I feel this discomfort? And sometimes it is like this, this week, it's been some discomfort about, um, you know, the safety. I feel like, you know, there's, you know, there's enough divisiveness that's mounting over, political parties and presidential candidates that I feel like this is civil unrest and it's making me feel really uncomfortable. And that makes me feel like I could be a target if I were, you know, my husband likes putting that gay pride flag on the pole out front and I resist and put up a big smiley face or a peace sign, you know, not that everybody who lives within our, you know, our little, street here doesn't know who lives here but if you're driving by i don't want you to think ah there's that f word over there and you don't want to put a bullseye on your back exactly and he's a tough new yorker who says bring it on (laughs) i i'm happy he's out and proud but at the same time i also think there's sometimes there needs there's a need for caution right especially it's no secret right now. You know, we're in the Midwest and violence in our city is at an all time high. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is kind of disheartening. And also, even like there is this year alone, there's been a record number of transgender mm. murders. Murders, yeah. Um, I mean, and it's just, and there's been a number of them in the city. Right. And the that past makes me, few years. Yes. With and it transgender makes me murders. It's no, horrifying. It's and it just makes me sad that somebody will do harm just right. because they're just being their true self. Right. And that's what gets me. It's they're trying to live their authentic life. And someone's and threatened someone... by that. Oh, yeah. Well, I think, you know, that kind of goes back to, you know, when I first, you know, took a a significant glance in the direction of Buddhism. And, of course, I started doing the math, you know, doing the the exercise of investigating and seeing what you know what is my um safety level in within this religion you know Uh how does buddhism feel about gays and i get that question a lot and you know i think certainly buddhism 
shifts to the culture that it is introduced into. So it's moved throughout the world and each culture that it is, you know, adopted into. It takes on a bit of a different thing, but, you know, there's nothing really within the Buddhist teachings that really talks about gender or, um, you know, sexual orientation or gender identification, anything like that. There's nothing in there, which says to me, ah, this is a safe place. Because really at the, at the core of, you know, this alaya within each of us, which is that central consciousness within each of us, there is no identification to gender or orientation or political party or race. It's so funny that you mentioned that you had done a little research because probably about 2014, 20, you know, maybe early 2015, when I was looking to get back into something, maybe I needed something in my life. And I remember Googling (laughs) which religions which organizations are accepting of homosexuality what did you find um (laughs) a lot of tolerance or a lot of you know the bible says this so no and then i remember googling buddhism and it was very much empty there was nothing really neutral yeah super neutral right and which was refreshing and also, I thought, well, I really need to look more into Buddhism because I don't know too terribly much about it, except there, I knew where some temples were within the metro area that, you know, you've seen driving past. Right. That was really it. And it was once I started doing some readings and then going to that first, you know, I went to a couple um, Sangha groups and that's when I first met you. I was like, oh. Oh, oh! And then I realized he looks gay. (laughs) Well, it's so funny because (laughs) it's so funny because I went with my younger brother, right? And to the very first time to a a sangha service, and I remember looking around and I noticed, you know, there was you and there were several other guys there who, to me, not being stereotypical, but I just thought (laughs) your gaydar went off. Yeah, my gaydar was going off. I'm like, okay. And I thought, this is safe. Yeah. This is safe. I remember you and your brother coming, and I thought you were a couple. And I was like, that's <laughs> the weirdest couple. Like, <laughs> I do, I cannot picture them, like, together. But you were always there, and you seemed, you know, affectionate. And I'm like, yeah, huh. my little brother. Yeah. <laughs> huh. And where is he yeah. now? Yeah, he doesn't show up. No, no. Well, that's another whole. Oprah. Yes. That's another... <laughs> I need like five podcasts for that one. <laughs> that'll be that'll be next month's podcast series. For real. <laughs> what but, happened to Chris's brother? <laughs> yeah. Where's Tim? And anyone that I meet through the the song of services, they're just so open to whatever. They're just refreshing. They're just nice people who just want to live a better life. Who just yeah. want to be better people. Right. We're navigating through the same minutia and the right. same crap that we right. all are. Right. We're just, we're all the same, just, just different heights and weights and hair color. 
right. or lack of hair. You know, <laughs> I mean, right, right. It's just, right. you know, we all put our pants on one leg at a time. And or maybe not. I don't know. You could be like a jumper. <laughs> I've never tried that. I'm, I you know, I'm not that tall anyway. I would face plant, but. <laughs> exactly. And you know, you're not that graceful. <laughs> no. But I'm no. too short. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I wear scrubs half the time anyway, so it's pretty easy. You know, but, I wear the, the meditation jammies, you know. Oh, God, I love I'm those. So comfy in those. But I just want to talk about the kind of process that that I use at least for getting kind of down to the, the root of the discomfort of whatever's going on. And it could be, you know, the discomfort of the, the targeted sexuality, <laughs> maybe um, that when I sit down with that, that I really kind of, I want to look and see first, where is the discomfort where does that discomfort exist? You know, and obviously it's mentally, but there's also some physical attributes to our, our stress and discomfort. So we mm -hmm. can kind of find those in, you know, tension and, um, you know, I hold everything in the back of my neck. So <laughs> I'm, I'm tight. It's like rocks back there. So, you know, I, I know I can feel it there and I know that I'm experiencing it mentally. And what does that look like? Does that look like anxiety? Does that look like despair or depression or restlessness or how is it manifesting? So I look there first. And then the second, and we're, we're following the Buddha's four noble truths. So we've indicated that there is an issue, there is a discomfort. And then we want to find the cause of that discomfort. So we want to really just whittle it down. And you and I were talking about the the five whys. I love mm -hmm. the five whys just from keep where you continually ask the the question of okay, I'm experiencing this. Well, why am I experiencing that? And when you knuckle down to, okay, here's a descriptor or here's a reason why, well, why am I feeling that? And keep going until you have no further to go. And for me, most of that, you know, working through stress and vulnerability and shame at the bottom of pretty much all of my discomfort is fear fear of, and usually have to fill in the blank, fill, you know, fear of failure, fear of physical you know, harm or acceptance, you know, someone yelling something at me, like fear of a reaction that's not skillful. Right. But the five whys to me are so important because if you just look at the surface level of an issue, you're never going to fix the problem. You've got to drill down to figure out what is the root cause. Anytime there's an, a major issue that happens, you know, we do root cause analyses. Mm. And that's essentially what this is in just a little bit more primitive form. Right. It's a simpler form as well. Just asking why, you know, I've got a headache. Why? Well, because I've been reading too much. Why am I reading too much? Right. You know, because, because I'm I restless and I can't sleep at night. <laughs> Why can't you sleep at night? Right, because I'm stressed because out. Because my mind's going too much. Yeah, Why, what right. are you thinking about? Because I'm scared. Right. What are you scared of? The election. Okay. What why? can we do? Why are you and why of? are you scared of the election? Yeah, keep going. <laughs> you know, I don't want to lose my human rights. Right. 
as a gay man. I don't want to be in danger going to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And so you just keep drilling down and it's really great because you can do this with everything. But then when you hit that, there's no more wise to go. You find that problem. That's where you take to your cushion. Then I want to say, you know, then the, you know, the, the solution is to apply the wisdom of awakened awareness. When we understand that there's fear at the bottom of this and that's fear of this, that really turning on the light, like shining the spotlight right on that thing. We understand the nature of it. We understand that we are having a physical and mental human reaction, mm -hmm. and then we can get in front of it and do something to lessen the suffering, the discomfort, the dissatisfaction that is perpetuating itself. Because there's always something, there's always a root. There's always a cause of your suffering. It's just sometimes you may think it's it's one cause, but it's really another because we're not going deep enough. Because we usually it. stop at blaming it on someone or something else. Oh, absolutely. Right. It's so much easier to do that instead of looking deeper into ourselves. When you get to the when you get to the denominator that is this is Ron's reaction to mm -hmm. fear, then you're there. Mm-hmm. Very specifically, <laughs> very specifically. If, if, it's, if it's still this guy or that guy or that person that is on my nerves is doing that, then you're not there. No, because really it should never be about somebody else. It's not about them. It's about you and how you're handling the situation, how you're reacting unskillfully. Take a minute, shut the door, turn the lights off, whatever you need to do. Go for a walk. Well, not right now. It's cold. But, you know, right. walk up and down the stairs, something to kind of clear your head and reset. It's The five whys do help set that reset button. Yeah. When you find that that final why, that answer, when that mirror is pointing back at you going, Ron, you're afraid. <laughs> okay. You have to admit it. I get it. I am afraid. Right. And sometimes it is just sitting with it and admitting, I am afraid. And sitting with it doesn't mean turning it into, you know, turning it from despair into joy. Uh -huh. What it means is getting it to okayness, understanding what its, what its nature is, what the reaction is, and what can I do and not do that is skillful. Oftentimes acting unskillful I mean, it's such a reaction right instead of just pausing taking that moment in in my my opinion unskillful behavior is unconscious behavior yeah looking at it that way allows you to kind of back off of the judgment and not be like oh you're doing it again you're such a bad person because you had an unskillful reaction rather than going ah that's a human reaction to a human situation for I know for me, for a long while, I would be hard on myself for that. And instead of just being like, Chris, you're human, buddy. You can't beat yourself up for being a human. Right. Because oftentimes the fastest thing to do is just have those reactions back to someone else. Instead of just pausing, taking a second. Yeah. Because sometimes 
if you just do that, the situation's resolved a lot quicker than if you are hard on yourself for having that unskillfulness. Right. Because I think for me, you know, I'll dwell on something for far too long. Why did I do that? It was so stupid. What if I had just done this? You know, just you're a human being. Right. We all make human mistakes or human errors or just we make human. You know, I don't know how else to say right. it. Right. It's, you know, sometimes it's the human doing that does us in that we just yeah. do. You know, we feel the need to always have a, a reaction rather mm-hmm. than to just kind of sit back and watch and go, oh, that's and you know, it's funny that feeling you really that. uncomfortable and vulnerable. Sometimes I've learned probably over the past year or so that I do just need to not say things because I'm always the one, my mother, she would probably die if I admitted this, but you know, she was right for the fact that I've always got to have the last word. <laughs> I always want to keep going and bantering and saying my piece but it is much easier and much more skillful just to not say a word. Right. Or just not. Well, and, you know, I think the the one thing that I know for sure, mm-hmm. <laughs> I sound like Oprah. The one thing that I know for sure is that when I really get down to the, you know, understanding the cause of my own reaction, there's always a, Oh, aha, there I am. There it is. And it's just plain to me. And it's no, like, there's no stress behind that. It's a relief to see what's actually going on and know, ah, it's really just, you know, it's the spark that came from the the situation. You know, it's just a reaction that came from that situation. And that reaction was probably built on bias from a previous experience. So to really undo the conditioning of those experiences, we have to stay awake and aware. So our, our practice becomes awareness in this moment practice, always trying to, to make certain that we have a foot in this present moment where there's nowhere else to go, but just be here where it's most important, where everything is sparking and everything is happening right here and now, not 20 years ago, not 10 years ago, and not five minutes ago. It's right here, right now. And my reaction, my awakened reaction matters. Absolutely. This is where it happens right here. I love that um, that Jill Bolte Taylor, Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor um, quote. And I always get it wrong, but it's it's basically you know be um, be the owner of the energy that you show up here with. We well, like that. Yeah, and I'm paraphrasing, to... but it's similar. <laughs> yeah, energy means a lot. Yeah. Yeah, your energy, your attitude, your position, you know, when you when you come in with all your trust barriers up, it's going to show. Walls are meant for a house. Walls are meant for a house. I just said that. It's okay. I you know. Can, you to... <laughs> I, I know. I know. It's, it's good. Oh, man. Well, this has gone so fast. Oh, yeah. I yes. feel like we have... 
you know, an hour more that we could talk about this stuff. And, you know, you'll be definitely going to have you back on in the future. Oh, yeah. We, <laughs> we just sit here and just chat forever. Exactly. We're just turning on record for your benefit, folks. It's all it is. <laughs> and we hope that is of benefit. And yeah, we... I am so happy um, to see all of the downloads from all over the world. I've, I feel like when I started the Backyard Buddhist podcast that I was literally thinking about um, setting a recorder up in my backyard <laughs> and, <laughs> and recording from there. And my backyard has now become the entire globe, which is amazing to me. And we're here in the heart of America, in the heart of whatever kind of craziness is going to come out of this election. And, um, you know, we might become drinking buddies. <laughs> never know you never know you're welcome to the quarantini lounge with darren and i <laughs> bring andy we'll have a we'll have a four for one other podcast from that the quarantini oh, lounge the quarant live from the quarantini lounge oh i like that a lot <laughs> in overland park <laughs> that one may have to be a youtube one though <laughs> not just That's a podcast amazing. it's actually live <laughs> i love it all right, our friends from all over the globe, we'll see you next week. Remember, you have to be present to win. Bye now. Bye, y'all.